evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to your Sunday edition of Jersey, the weekly free Rangers podcast made for by fans, for fans, and all content is free. Um, you can obviously get us um, over at www.jersnet.co.uk um, for your forum, lots of articles on it, and over on Twitter as well, at Jersnet Online, um, hosted by yourself, uh, myself, sorry, Craig Ray, this evening. Here to obviously talk about um, yesterday's victory over St Mirren at Ibrox. Pretty, pretty decent game, I thought. Um, lots of action and lots to talk over. Um, just before we start, though, I want to give a little message from our sponsors, and that is Forest Precision Engineering. They are a subcontract Glasgow-based engineering company who have been a big supporter of Rangers for many years, and we're delighted that they're backing your podcast. You can get them all over at forestprecisioneng.com. And you can also vi- uh, visit the Forest Precision Executive Lounge, a stunning new hospitality area within the historic main stand. For more information on how to book this unique and intimate space, you can email the club via hospitality at rangers.co.uk. So after that's all been done, we may as well introduce the guest. First up, David Fraser. David, how you doing? Not, not spoke to you in a while. How you doing, Craig? Uh, I know it's been a while, been for, since New Year, roughly. Just uh, New Year, so I... Not a bad game yesterday. Um, I had a lot to discuss, I, I would say. So, interesting times ahead. No, absolutely. And also on today, uh, the wonderful Chris Jack. Chris, how are you doing, mate? Not too bad, Greg. How's things? Well, a couple of weeks since I've been on, so nice to be back again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Chris, I'm on with you first. May as well start with you. You know, free. Uh, 3 2, if only it was that. Uh, 5 2 win yesterday over St. Mirren at Ibrox. Um, Michael Beal and his press conference afterwards was pretty damning of the defence and um, I found it quite interesting his comments but he seemed to blame Todd Cantwell for that first goal and uh, you know he, he kind of mentioned in the press conference you know I've loved Todd I've loved his uh, performances and stuff like that but I wanted to be hard on him um, I quite like that because we know how talented the player is and we'll, we'll come on to him um, later on obviously in the show but um, how did you feel that the game went yesterday? I thought for for an end of season game it was actually quite good. It could have been very different. It could have been the score after twenty minutes, the score after sixty minutes, he went two 0 error because up the road fairly uh, fairly bored and another one ticked off. I thought given the situation that the, the team are in and the club are in, it was actually not that bad. If there's another half a dozen like that and they're as entertaining as that, that'd be good. If there's as many goals in them, that would be good. If the Rangers performance was a bit better, that was certainly be good as well. I thought is as encouraging as aspects of it was, I think that you summed it up in Michael's post-match press earlier. There was clearly bits of it that he wasn't impressed by, wasn't uh, pleased with. Um, and as I actually said in, our, in the stuff that I wrote at the game for the, if the paper this morning, it's important that the standards aren't allowed to drop between now and the end of the end of the season. We all know the league's gone, there's nothing to play for in terms of, in terms of trying to catch Celtic. That doesn't mean to say you can just allow you to cruise through these uh, last half a dozen games or so. There's still guys playing for uh, the futures, there's things for the manager to learn in terms of individual players, perhaps even the system as well. So I think the fact that the manager was as harsh on them after a 5-2 home win um, bodes quite well for the fans to know they can turn up over the next few weeks and it's not just going to be playing the games right for the sake of them. If, if the manager's that, that driven and that determined, you would like to hope that then comes into the, into the performances on the park as well. No, absolutely. And David, um, yesterday, um, Ed and Colin done the, the post-match reaction. I think Colin, more than, more than anything, was just a wee bit like, oh, 
can't be bothered with this game today. You know, the league's gone, one of the ones. Um, turned out to be, as Chris said, quite a, quite a decent game. I thought St Mirren actually done done pretty well. I expected Devin Stephen Robinson to come in, put, you know, 11 men behind the ball. Um, but, you know, they created a, a couple of decent chances. I think that the two goals, you know, poor, poor defensively for us, but, but good finishes for them. One thing that, that I did find interesting, you know, was the changes that were made. Um, there was only two changes that were um, made from the game at Parkhead last week, you know, in force ones with Sakala and John Lundstrom coming in. I wasn't surprised by that personally. I know a lot of people are kind of at the stage now where it's like you want to be giving, um, you know, your sort of fringe players a run out and stuff like that um, and, you know, give uh, young boys a game and, you know, we managed to get Leon King and stuff like that on towards the end of the game. For me, though, I'm kind of like, even though the league is gone, you've got six more league games, hopefully two more cup games as well, and it's like, you just want to keep the momentum building, um, more so going into Hamden than anything else, and I'm also a big believer that you shouldn't just be getting a jersey at Rangers because, you know, you're, you know, you're employed by the club. If you're if you're getting that jersey, regardless of whether that game's important or not, you should have to earn that jersey. So what was your thoughts on the, the game and, and the changes that were made, David? Yeah, like yourself, um, and, and Chris, I, I thought it was a, a reasonably entertaining game for, you know, kind of end of the season, uh, not a lot of left in the league. Again, you know, like yourself, I thought St. Lern were, were fairly enterprising. You know, they, they did they did play with 10 men right the ball, and I think that's, uh, I thought you'd, you'd be necessarily slighting Stephen Robinson in his tactics, but um, they did try to uh, take the game to Rangers when the opportunity arose for them. Um, obviously Mark Ahara scored well, one goal but his first goal I thought was an excellent goal uh, the way he took it anyway, his, his second goal he took that quite well as well but um, concentrating the Rangers performance obviously they got a penalty shout early doors uh, Tav managed to uh, miss it or was it a, a good save with Trevor Carson you know, I would say it's a good save with the goalkeeper um, where I'm sat in the ground, obviously, I've not seen it back in terms of highlights, so I don't know whether it was a bad penalty or not. Um, but I'll credit Trevor Carson, it was a good save. Uh, scored a good goal, although from Steve Robinson's perspective, I think he'd probably lament the defender because Todd can't be running the box and, and nobody seemed to want to um, prevent him from giving a flick on, uh, which turned out to be a, a decent goal from his perspective. He had a good performance. Um, I think uh, Nicola Raskin was, was, was decent as well. Uh, Alfredo Morelos was, was, was pretty tidy. John Stewart obviously came on the side in the last couple of games. Uh, he didn't do that badly. Um, I think there's, there's, there's some reasonably encouraging signs where he's concerned. But you know, there was the usual kind of foibles where they just uh, sign of concerned. Um, so I, I, I can I can totally empathise with the manager's comments uh, post match. Um, I thought some of the defending was, was pretty average, but that's been symptomatic of how Rangers seasons went domestically, Craig. So, uh, and, and, and Europe for that matter, we factor in. Uh, so, aye, a lot of work on, uh, certainly, you know, the last 20 minutes were fairly exciting. You know, obviously, when your, your equaliser came in, where I'm sat, I'm looking at the room, I, I was a bit, a bit disheartened. Uh, to say the least, with the amount of people that were, were kind of leaving the ground early. Um, obviously, missed three goals in, in rapid succession. Uh, but, like, three points we move on. 
we do move on indeed and Chris um, David spoke there about the defender obviously we, we mentioned um, the manager talking about it yesterday um, one guy um, just sort of off topic that I wanted to bring up was Ben Davies I, I felt yesterday again he wasn't um, you know he didn't really do himself any favours after his, his obvious his, uh, obvious sorry errors at, at Parkhead last week um, I'm someone who you know all in probably was a big supporter of Ben Davies coming in initially Um he was getting a lot of stick after the League Cup final for, for losing QO for both goals, but I was kind of, you know, I didn't really go go on him that much for it. Got to say, I'm kind of revising that now, going back after his performance last week. And, you know, yesterday's game, it's one of those ones for him where you need to play well after um, what what happened the week before. And I just, I just don't think that he'd done it, to be honest. No, I think you... I know the manager mentioned the, uh, the defending for for both the goals and it's really kind of basic stuff. It is just clearing your lines. You're not asking him to, to go and man-mark a, a striker who's clearly out of, out of his league and uh, someone that he should be able to, uh, to go with. Obviously, the mistake in, in the first half that uh, Kilty nipped in um, and fair play to John Lundstrom for actually getting back and making the interceptions. If he hadn't, Curtis Main had a had a shot and goal and it could quite easily have scored. So I think overall it wasn't that, that great a performance from, from Ben Davies. I think he's someone who has probably had a, an average season. Um, we spoke to him a couple of weeks ago and he was going through his kind of disrupted pre-season and obviously made the move and then couldn't get out on a, uh, games. Obviously his injury at the start of the season as well. And you do have to have, I think, some sympathy for it, but it's not been an easy easy campaign to come in. A lot of dropping and changing. It's not been easy for him. And he said, well, it will be next season. Once I've had a few games in my belt this year, had a proper pre-season, fed in with the manager, and then really kick on. I think if you're still sitting at this time next year, and you really see that performances haven't improved to the level that you would expect from a £4 million centre-half, questions then really need to be asked. So I wouldn't, wouldn't write him off just yet. Uh, I think the fans are maybe entitled to ask for a wee bit, wee bit better for him, especially when it just comes down to basic stuff I say it's winning your headers it's clearing your lines it's just defend, defending your box um, and it, I think at times this season is that that's something that he's not done well enough um, it probably not lived up to expectations enough No I completely agree Chris um, and I, I thought it was quite telling that the manager actually took him off yesterday as well which you know you don't really see you know, even when you are going to try and win a game, um, centre backs being being subbed off, um, especially for for Glenn Kamara and obviously Lindstrom move back into that position. But um, we'll try and be a wee bit more positive now. Uh, David need to talk about Todd Cantwell. Um, this guy is slowly becoming an integral part of this team, um, and for, for me, he's just he's been brilliant since he came in. I thought um, last week at Parkhead he was a wee bit anonymous, but I thought. All in, he actually he played quite decent. He just, you know, wasn't really getting those critical touches on the ball. Um, obviously, we're hoping that like Tillman and Kent and, and stuff like that would have been able to. But um, his goal yesterday, I know you were maybe a wee bit critical of some winning defence, but it was a great flick by him. And then, you know, two assists and that that last goal that he sets up at our field for. I mean, that was just incredible. I was playing well, Craig. Um... Hey, how to assess his, his, his performance so far? I'm saying that, that was his, his probably his best game in the Rangers jersey yesterday. Um, he impacted the game probably. That, that's in terms of you know a, 
a valid contribution to the, the overall team and winning. Uh, I won a match, I think. I was obviously maybe his most potent performance in the Rangers jersey thus far. He's obviously playing his way in. He's maybe see a lot of football latterly at Norwich. So um, he's a bit rusty. You know, obviously, coming into a, a side like Rangers with the expectation, you know, it's it not an easy thing to come in and break into the team and look a little bit right away, which a lot of fans, now myself, I'm maybe guilty of that at, at times, um, are looking for a wee bit more of what players can actually provide. So I'll hold my hands up where that's concerned. But I'll carry out that by saying, um, you know, I would still like to think that, that someday, um, like Cantwell, with the ability he's got, he can maybe be, he can, you know, he can produce more from uh, a creative uh, perspective. Now, you've seen there how he, he, he kind of, uh, the fifth goal, um, we are field. Now, there was something, I think I see a, a club online, I think, for the, the Twitter feed, there was 60 passes before it. And there was a lot of, a lot of needless ball retention. You know, a lot of people were waxing lyrical about how great a goal was and saying it was a better goal than Rod Wallace's goal against Dortmund. I, I don't buy that at all. Um, so, I'm sure that London in flames. But you obviously seen the intent he had when he burst forward, but dead easy to do it so late in the game against a team that's, you know, that's expending a lot of energy. I'd like to see Todd impose himself in the game when it matters. And you made, you made quite a salient point there to my mind insofar as you said you alluded to the fact that you thought it was a wee bit anonymous last week at Park they don't kick up entirely and you know we're looking for players that are going to impact in these games you know it's, it's all very well you know gain credit where it's due in games effectively dead rubbers against the likes of St Mum and you know St Mum that's a St Mum no disrespect to St Mum St Mum are a team in their eyes they're obviously got something to play for in terms of uh, a Europa Conference League uh, qualifier um, and Stephen Robinson is named Monk, you know, he's been over the course in Scotland before, he knows how to set a team up and he knows the league. Um, but Cantwell, I has to produce more. Um, but I'll reserve judgment on him until properly until next season. Although he's got a game, he's got two games against Celtic where he can he can show maybe maybe give us a glimpse of what is you know potentially to come next season. I, I, I place that pressure on his shoulders uh, if, I was, if I was Michael Beale and say, look, you know, let's start to see the real Todd Campbell. He's been here a couple of months now. He's got his feet under the, the table, so to speak. He should start to come out his shell. Hopefully he will. That's a few interesting points you've made there, David. I mean, that, you know, I'm I'm kind of on that as well in terms of, you know, he needs to get numbers. In fairness to him, though, um, he's got played 10 games in the league this season, he's got four assists and two goals, and, you know, for me, I don't know how other people feel, but I think if you're a creative player at Rangers, a winger or a, a number 10, I know Cantwell is kind of like a hybrid of both, you know, sort of, but for me, I'm wanting at least one goal contribution every two games, I think that's I think that's reasonable, kind of where you need to be, if you look at Hiller's side of the city, that's kind of what where they are in terms of numbers, um, and to be fair, in the league anyway, he's you know he's he's got six and ten, which is just just over that. So that is decent, but I think you're right in terms of he needs to do it against against Celtic because ultimately that's that's where you're going to be judged in Scotland. But um, it's definitely been a promising start to to his Rangers career. Chris, um, I don't know if you've seen him Twilight. Or, I mean, obviously he's, he's had his, his celebrations lately, and you know he likes to team up with Tillman for for them, but. I've seen a lot of people slag him for like making TikToks and doing celebrations and stuff like that. And it's just like, 
come on, man. I mean, does it does it really matter? It's like I, I don't like this new like it, it only seems to have happened in like the last maybe year or so where it's like even even that goal um, yesterday, obviously sixty passes, it was a great goal. Probably do need to agree with David and say it wasn't quite as good as as Wallace. He's like it's Dortmund, but Celtic fans are like that. Oh, what a trophy that is for us! Jesus Christ, are you not allowed to, to celebrate a good goal with, with your teammates nowadays? What, what have you made of Campbell and, and all that sort of shenanigans as well? Uh, shenanigans, I think that's, that is just Todd Cantwell. I think it was, it was evident when he turned up his first presser with those red uh, trainer boot things on. I think you get a wee kind of insight of the type of personality that he is. I certainly don't mind players having a bit more, a bit more about them. I've seen and spoken to enough uh, footballers over the years who don't allow their personality to come through, who give you cliches and not okay, boring one-word answers, and don't don't actually show who they who they are. Uh, I think Todd's a really interesting guy. He's really good to speak to. I think if he has that personality off the park, I'm hoping that will come more on the park. He's clearly somebody who's also plays with a bit of confidence. And I think once once he really feels at home, uh, I think Rangers fans will see the uh, will see the best of him. So as long as it's done in the right time, if you like, because obviously if you're if you're celebrating, uh, doing doing dances and making TikToks and all the rest of it, but you're nowhere in the league and Celtic win the treble and you're not contributing, people are understandably going to give you a bit of a hard time over it. So I think everybody has to be wary of how their how their key social media persona is, if you like. Uh, but in terms of him just enjoying himself and enjoying his football, that's how you're going to get the best out of him. Uh, and I think we've seen enough in his game so far to suggest that if he can raise it again and he can really settle into this team and uh, take on what Michael Beale's trying to get with him, I think he could be a really influential player for Rangers going forward. So let's just not, not knock him down. Let's not try and bring him down a peg or two. Let's just let him go and enjoy himself, enjoy his football, and hopefully he's only going to get even stronger. Hopefully, indeed, and he's obviously got two very big games coming up in the next uh, month or so where he can he can prove that. David, another one of the January signings I wanted to talk about, um, Nico Raskin. You you sort of touched on him earlier. You thought he was he was quite decent. I thought he was great at Parkhead last week. I thought I thought he was probably out with. Um, you need to give Tav a man of match obviously because he scored both goals. But I thought out with him. I thought Raskin was excellent, and you know even after coming back for his injuries, managed to. Um, to last the ninety minutes, said I thought again he was he was he was looking good yesterday. Had a couple of shots as well, which I didn't really expect. And there's there's something about this guy where it's like you know as soon as he gets the ball, he just wants to move it forward, move it forward, move it forward, keep the tempo going. And that's something that we've not had in the midfield for a a very very long time. Um, I don't think Joe Arrivo is a good comparison to be honest, because I do think they're, they're different players, but. He was maybe the last sort of forward-thinking midfielder that you know that we had, if, if that kind of makes sense. And you compare him to the likes of Kamara and Lundstrom, more so Lundstrom, where you know his back's always to go. He's always making you know what I would like to call the easy passes. Lundstrom, it's quite ironic the amount of times that he gives the ball away as well, considering you know he's making those easy passes. Um, but I think Raskin's been been great since he came in. He's he's clearly settled in well as well. Done an interview with. Rangers TV a couple of days ago, um, he settled in Glasgow, same with Cantwell. Um, how how good do you think um, Raskin's been since he's since he's joined us? Well, again, he's obviously he's a young lad. He's coming to a new country, new city. Um, takes time to settle in. But I, uh, 
I think there's more to come from Nicolás, I'd like to think there is. Um, however, I think a lot of that is going to be dependent on who the manager says to partner in the middle of the park. Um, I don't see uh, Todd Cantwell necessarily um, you know, dovetailing well. It's obviously it's going to be a, another kind of, uh, depending on what system Michael's going to play going forward, you know, if, it's, if it's going to be three midfielders um, with a kind of like a box-to-box remit as opposed to a sitting midfielder. Yeah, I think when he, when he came in at first, I think Michael said he can play a six and he can play an eight. Um, obviously, the six, you would imagine, is the whole midfield of the eight, the more attacking one. Um, I, thought he, I, thought, I thought he played played decently at Parkhead last week. Um, obviously, uh, tried to impose himself with the Celtic captain, who astonishingly managed to, to stay in the pitch despite his persistent play on, but that's a, for a lot of time. Um, I look. I think he's decent. I think he likes to move the ball forward, as you do rightly say. Uh, he made a connection with a shot that he had uh, going towards soon towards a room one, and I thought the connection he made showed that he's got decent technique. He came over the bar, but he made a very very solid um, connection with the ball. Actually, so it's one of those ones where you actually you could see the, the flight of the ball, um, and you could you could tell how well they hit it, albeit it was, it was slightly off target. So, I look, I think there's more to come from him, but I would like, I'm interested to see where the manager sees, or what type of player he sees as to partner um, and how he is deployed going forward, whether as a three or whether he, he's, he's a kind of, you know, a kind of younger Ryan Jack, for want of a better phrase, you know, performing that role within the team. So, no, look, he's, he's did well, he's a young lad, so we can call him a lot of slack. And I just think there's more to come from. But again, I repeat myself here, but there's, there's two games against Celtic coming up. Obviously, next next Sunday's uh, half four kickoff at, at Pintodre. That's a big game. Uh, despite, you know, it being a, a day of other, but obviously, Aberdeen under Barry Robson uh, are on the up. They, they've, they've got their tails up. Um, and uh, there's it's another game from the actually to his worth, and I'm sure they will. I, I just, just like to think they. I hope that he can keep himself fit to the end of the season. Put our other games together. As we've been saying here about other players, you know, Ben Davies and uh, Todd Cannon will get a good pre-season under his belt and we hopefully a couple of quality additions uh, to take some of the load off him and allow him to flourish naturally given his age. Then uh, I think we can look forward to a, a better than decent prospect than, than Nicola Raskin. Yeah, here's hoping. I think, I think Raskin started off really well along with Cantwell and... Um, I think there's there's a lot more to come for the two guys. Chris, obviously we, we just mentioned John Lundstrom there and um I actually thought it was thought it was decent yesterday. Obviously moved back into um centre back, didn't do much wrong. I, I don't know if you were still in the pressure at Ibrox yesterday when he when he came in because you know, it was getting on after six o'clock and you were kinda of like, hmm, is any players actually going to come out and speak to, to the broadcast media? I know you've had um Raskin come out and, and and speak to you guys, but um, so I, I don't know if you were there when when Lundstrom done done his press conference or if you seen it, but <laughs> he was asked about his his uh, contract situation. Um, obviously he's got a year left, and it was kind of you know a wee bit flustered, and he seemed to be a wee bit agitated with the question, almost as if you know he was basically being told to 
to both, if that kind of makes sense. But I think it was just, he was maybe a wee bit confused as to how the, the question was worded, but it really was just a question about, you know, do you want to stay here and stuff like that? And he's always been very open about Rangers and stuff like that, saying that he loves it here, he's settled here. I think he said before the, the Liverpool tie that, you know, he would stay here for the rest of his career if it, if it was up to him. Um, you know, I, I do think it's an interesting one, though, with him. I think you can tell that he knows that his performances haven't been great this season. I do think he's quite an honest guy. Um, and, you know, he has he has came out and, and said in the past, you know, when, when he's not played well, which, you know, fair enough, you know, that takes a bit of guts to, to admit that, especially, you know, at a club like Rangers. But it's all well and good saying, yeah, I've been performing badly, this, that, and the next thing every week. It's like, well, don't keep telling us that you're performing badly. Just start to, to perform well. What what did you sort of um, make it at and, and what his possible future could be at Ibrox? I think his future's quite interesting. I, I, I was actually away yesterday, uh, so I wasn't in the in the press room uh, by the time John came in. I see we got uh, Raskin out, outside um, and uh, Mark O'Hara as well. So I actually missed John's, uh, John's press up. I did hear about his, his answer uh, to that particular question. Um, in terms of his future, I don't think he's one of the first names on the team sheet next season. Um, I know David was talking there about what else the manager does in terms of the in terms of the midfield going forward. I think Tillman, if you can sign him, is, is going to be one of the first names there. Cantwell will play more often than not. Raskin will play more often than not. You'd imagine another midfielder will come in. You're looking at Scott Arfield moving on, Steve Davis moving on, Glenn Kamara being sold just to reinvest some of the funds in there. So, there will be more midfielders coming into the club over the over the course of the summer. And I would think you could probably get someone just as good, if not better, than, than John Lundstrom. So I, I think he will have a, a part to play in the squad. I don't see him... I think he's got quite a long way to go to say, look, I deserve one of those spots. I'm going to play every single week. Which is, when you think back 12 months to the, uh, the Leipzig game and uh, obviously beating Celtic in the semi-final when the Scottish Cup, at that stage... It looked as if he turned around his Rangers career. He had a shaky start to it. I'd really come on. Fans were singing his name. Everybody loved him. And he's almost like gone completely the wrong direction now. And he's become one of the whipping boys for the fans. That People see his name in the team sheet. Already puts him in a bad mood because they think it's going to be a bit slow and ponderous. As soon as he makes a mistake, they're on their back. And it can be quite a long, for, for, not for any player, not just John, it can be quite a long journey back from, from that position. So I think he's got a wee bit to prove probably to the manager, he's got a bit, a bit to prove to the fans, but I wouldn't completely write him off yet. I just think if he can get back to, to where he was last season, he can be an important part of the squad. Right now, I just don't see him being one of the, the kind of integral parts of the of the team, uh, but that doesn't mean to say he's not got a role to play going forward. Yeah, I can kind of concur with that. I think, um, obviously, his performances haven't been great this season, but I still think he can do a job for the team. Um, for me, John Lynch and Borna Barisic are in a very, very similar um, position in terms of um, where they are at Rangers. I think they're, they're both... I think they might be the same age, maybe about a year or so um, between them, sort of late 20s, 30. Um, so they're at an interesting point in their career. They've got one year left in their deal. Um, for me, though, I know a lot of people would, would like to get rid of both and you know understand that, but... I'm just thinking from a, a sort of squad point of view, I don't really see the, the need in selling these guys who are left in a contract at the age they are because 
realistically you're not going to get an awful lot of money for them maybe a couple of million quid each if you're lucky um and then obviously you're you would need to reinvest that in um in replacements and stuff like that you know they're here they're settled they obviously they enjoy being here so david for me with will instrument you know baris may as well just just throw him in here as well what i would do next season is keep them and then review the contract situation at the end of the season you know, if the performances have matched up, you know, with the expectation, you know, why not give them another two or three years or whatever? But um, I just think it's a wee bit too early to be saying, I just, just get rid of them. Because, as I say, I don't think the financial incentives are, are there to get rid of them as well, to be honest. Um, well, take, take John Lundstrom first of all. Totally uh, concur with, with Chris's comments. I think that's, that's, that's a fair um, to see a season so far uh, it really depends on the financials I mean I, I don't know what he's what John Lundstrom's earning per week uh, although it's rumoured to be you know quite high up the peck nerd in terms of the race bill so uh, are we getting good value for money there um, would the manager be tempted to cash in I would strongly suspect yes uh, I think John is John said uh, a tough season. Um, obviously, this time last year he'd had a purple patch, and we looked. Uh, or he, he started to look like the type of player that we thought we'd purchased um, when he kicked off his Rangers career. But I think it's important to remember that the, the player that we've seen playing for for Sheffield um, United, the, the position he plays in it and. And our team is completely t- different to the way Chris Wilder deployed him. Certainly, you know, during his buckle patch, or that, I can remember anyway, where he played on the right hand side, and he, he, was, he was more like a, a running midfielder. Giovanni Van Bronckhurst and to an extent Michael Beale have, have uh, deployed him as a sitting midfielder and a, a playmaker almost. Um, is he going to uh, nail down a place in the team? in that position going forward again. I agree with Chris, you know, it's, it's unlikely and current form to see that being the case. So, I suspect that, you know, you mentioned there a couple of million pounds. Um, if he is on high wages, I could see them possibly cash in. Uh, especially if they've got their eyes on other midfielders that are maybe going to um, play in a similar position, but with a bit more dynamism. Um, and again, whether they, you know, uh, they complement uh, Nicola Raskin. Now, it, 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 to try and come to the point and then we've already got on the basis. John, John Lundstrom, based on his performances this season, you struggle to think who he actually pairs up better with in the squad. Is that a case of, does he play better with Ryan Jack? Sometimes he does, and you think, aye, that's his partner. Uh, do you think, you know, sometimes you think, does he play better with Glenn Kamara or Steve Davis? You wouldn't know. You know, sometimes it varies. So it's not like you say, you've got a keys in there and that's who you play with. So on that basis, I think the manager may be tempted to move on. Borna Barisic, similarly. Um, you made a, a point there where are, are they worth that much, you know, in terms of cashing on them? And both fall into the same category. Um, Barisic has been here for a number of years. You know what you're going to get from uh, Is he a first choice left back going forward? Um, oh, I mean, I, I would, I would possibly say that his, his time as a first pack Rangers defender is at an end. But you seen yesterday when he put a couple of lovely balls. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm teaching the community. Everybody that's listening, you two fellows know the story. I mean, 
Barisic could put the ball on a sixpence. He put one cross into the ball, just right in front of me, to the left hand side, and nobody attacked it. And it was, a, it was a, the type of cross that would beg it to be attacked. So he can always bring that to the game. But then you look at his foibles, you look how timid he is in defence, how he's prone to ball watching in big games at, at times. But, you know, you try and rewind back, and I'm coming on that slack here to, to maybe two and a half seasons ago, and he looked like a quality defender. He was linked to the moves to Senegal. So, look, if he's no cost in the earth, would you keep him as a squad player? Yes, but I'd like to think that he could possibly upgrade the left back position. Is that going to, that upgrade going to be manifested by uh, you know, Turkey Slabs and Van Nielmas? I highly doubt that. So, um, it's one of those ones that, the, um, given that there's presumably limited funds to play, are there going to be sweeping wholesale changes to the squad whereby Borna Barisic would be deemed supposed to the clans? I'm unsure about that. The same goes to a lesser extent with John Winston. Um, but uh, yeah, it's interesting times ahead, as I said, at the top of the show, Craig. So these kind of questions that are on the lips of a lot of supporters, with all of these guys will feature you know, next season in the short to medium term, you know, are still you know, hanging in the air. So um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if both moved on, and I wouldn't be surprised if both became, you know, Squad players that maybe, you know, pitch in with maybe 25, uh, 25 appearances per season, assuming that this allows, uh, but are, are supplanted by, hopefully, a better standard of a player going forward. Yeah, it certainly is interesting times moving forward and that obviously brings us on to our next subject, Ross Wilson. Of course we need to talk about Ross Wilson, guys. He's been waiting for it all night. I know we, um, we kind of discussed it on Friday um, with John and Brian, um, but Chris, it's good to have you on for this. I mean, this did come out a wee, um, as a wee bit of a surprise to me. I mean, obviously, but we've had the protest recently. For me, you know, I, I've been quite public, not in my, you know, a criticism as such as a protest, just maybe in terms of, you know, impact and, you know, it's all well and good holding up signs and stuff like that, but I, d I don't really think that that results in change. Obviously, there has been a change. Um, you know, Michael B was asked if the protests are a part to play. He said they probably thought not, but the deal certainly came, it seemed anyway, the very last minute. It, it, it was kind of like, I can't remember if it was um, sort of late last week, the sort of weird um, Twitter account um, spoof um, because Nottingham Forest just sat there um, directed a football he put two and two together and tweeted it and then like a day later it was actually happening it was it was a it was a really weird process and, and something that obviously happened quite um, quite late on wasn't it? I think the I think the timing probably suits all parties here uh, I think obviously Forest had, had to replace that position they were keen to, to get somebody in I think if you're Rangers, let's get mixed messages of how, how happy or unhappy Rangers, Rangers are here. Personally, I think it's, it's a good thing for the club. I think the time is right for Eferos to move on and for the club to go in a different direction. And him leaving of his own accord and leaving in the manner that he has done has saved someone at the club having to make a big decision come the end of the season of do you back him or do you sack him? And I think if you're Ross, you're getting out at a time of your own choosing. You get to go back down to the Premier League. I'm sure it'll be uh, well... Uh, weighed in for it. I think it's a good move in that regard for him. And he also gets to leave having not been not been sacked, having not having come under the criticism that would no doubt follow over the over the summer. Um I don't think a lot of the fans would have been content with him overseeing another transfer window. Uh, even though a lot of that work has obviously already already been done and whatever work does get done over the summer, he will have had 
obviously quite a lot of input into it, but I think him just not being there as a as a key figurehead for that for that summer recruitment drive, I think brings a, a freshness to the fan base. I think they're more more content with Michael Beale leading that search than, than Ross Wilson. So, so I think it's, it's something that suits all parties um, and ultimately not not a massive surprise that Ross is no longer at Ibrox. Yeah, I agree with that, Chris. I mean, I think perfect for all parties kind of does sum it up. I mean, I think it's actually quite quite fortunate, the, the timing from a, a PR point of view at Ibrox anyway. Um, you know, it, it does solve a headache for, for a lot of people moving forward. David, we do obviously need to talk about his time, you know, at the club in, in full. And I wrote an article for um, for the website a few days ago. I don't know if um, you managed to read it or seen it. But, you know, I actually think his time at Ibrox has been a bit of a mixed bag. I think it's very easy for people to turn around and say, uh, you know, he's a failure, he's done this, that and the next thing. You know, Ross Wilson came in um, late 2019, you know, to basically replace Mark Allen and, you know, compared with where late 2019 to where we are now, we have improved. That that is just a fact. I do think, though, I kind of you know compared Ross Wilson to to this group of players where they've got a certain or they've had a certain role to play in this club's history. Where yes, they've done well to sort of get his back um, to you know winning trophies, regularly challenging for things again. But just because they've done that doesn't mean that they are the people to take us forward in terms of regularly doing that year in, year out. And look, obviously in terms of individual signings as well, I know I think people are, are quite um, you know too harsh to judge some people and, and call them failures. It, it seems to me like the, the bar is so high for a lot of people in terms of what you deem um, a success. You know, every signing that you make isn't going to end up making... 250 appearances for the club, score 100 goals and, you know, do this, that and the next thing. Football, especially nowadays, it's one with squads. You look at Celtic, they've got a squad of, you know, 25, 30 quality players um, and you need these guys to win leagues and, you know, three, three people that Ross Wilson brought in that are, um, always think maybe the jury's out for a lot of people is Ruth Hadji and Cedric Keaton. Um I all think that they've they've done relatively well. I think when you compare what you've paid for them and, and the output that you've got, it's been good. Obviously, the injuries don't help with the likes of Ruth and Hadji not being available, but Kamal Ruth, without his goals, you don't win the league. He scored vital goals last season, not only in the league, but getting us to, to a Europa League final. Um, and even this season, he's not played, but he came on against Aberdeen and he scores a goal that gets you to a League Cup final. That pays back his transfer fee, kind of similar with Yannis Sadji, the assist that he's made, and, and Cedric Keaton as well. You know, he, he scored vital goals, and well, it seemed he only scored against Motherwell, but they, they were vital goals at the same time that without them, you probably don't win the league. And we also got a money back for Cedric Keaton, so it's kind of like we've, we've got three goals. Do you know what I mean? So, how can how can people deem that a failure? Um, look, the recruitment that season. More so in, in last January as well has been awful. There's there's no getting away from that. Um, more so this summer. Some of the signings, you know, nope, that they've had just just not been good enough. And I do think it it was the right time to move on. But um, what do you think? Your um, are your overall thoughts are on on Ross's time at, at Ibrox and where we go from here? Well, like yourselves, I think it's been a, a mixed bag. Um, I was surprised that the. I'm moving on. Um, did he jump before he was pushed? You know, as 
probably the case. Uh, or maybe, maybe maybe it was not a case of that. Maybe it was maybe it was a case of he just didn't take too kindly the the kind of considered criticism that he received, and it, I thought it was very personal. And I mean, no, at risk of um, kind of back sort of union beers and fans that have got a similar mindset. Um, you know, a dangerous game where it's kind of you're reacting to, to the um, to a group of supporters as to, to the direction of the club. Um, but no, look, to, to try and take in Conor's court, I mean, he deserved a, he deserved a knighthood for getting another Eris Gresner. Maybe a sharp time at the door, sharpish. You know, and he, he can have, you know, any doubts that the fans might have had because he's maybe his background that being at Huddersfield and then obviously, you know, a lot of Southampton fans thought his, his, his record was, was maybe was maybe a patch here check up to him in terms of wheeling and dealing. They came in and Greg, the guys out the door quite well, you know, they thought, aye, here's a guy that maybe you know, is probably decent at his job. Um, like you, I think he's made some good signings. Like you, I think he's been severely hampered by the last couple of transfer windows. Um, so, uh, the, the, the summer one, and, and obviously last January in particular, but high risk, high, you know, high tariff uh, gamble going for Aaron Ramsey. You know, so a lot of fans, you know, scratched their heads at that one and thought, um, this could, it, it, could blow, you know, it could be a very good move or it could blow up in their face spectacularly. And unfortunately, it was a lot. Um, and that seems to have uh, been carried on at the summer transfer window. And I think, I mean, you, you can briefly alluded towards it. You, you've got a shelf life. It's like management. And um, he's been there for just over four years. Obviously, the truncated season, the, the, the COVID, and uh, our challenge being awarded the league. So, aye, it's, it's a hard one to, to kind of try and sum up now. A couple of minutes talking about it. Oh, eh, sorry, Craigan. Eh. Aye, it's. I think it's just. It's time to move on. It's time for for fresh blood, fresh ideas. Eh, it's interesting that he's he's chosen to go to Forest. I mean, they've spent 180 million pounds players, and I presume that they're bringing him in to to <laughs> to, eh, to to go for a call and and, and cut back the wage bill down there. So. Aye, it'll be interesting to see how they move forward. Um, what will, will possibly signal a change in how the club's structured. I highly do that. I think the director of football is sporting director, whatever you want to call it, is the modern uh, European model. I think the club have obviously signalled in their strategy that that's the way they see the club being run uh, going forward. So it'll be interesting to see who they're linked with. Um, obviously, a few names bandied about recently. None of them, I'll be brutally frank, none of them enthuse me. Especially ex players that have been linked to it. Um, so, I it's when um, your resources are as scarce, or you know, not so much scarcity of it, it's this. You, you may have a valid point. You can't hit every single sign in Canada success, but the pressures to avoid excessive slippage and dangerous circumstances are all the greater. So, um, I think if we make the next transfer window a successful one that, that you know bears fruit on the part and takes us forward as a team, 
No, it's, it's dead easy. I mean, oh, last night, right, we rewind back to last summer. People got back some miracles saying that was a, this, the scores are the greatest or the best it's been. And you're thinking, I thought at the time, well, I don't people are based on that one because a lot of the things I've done the hand in the part to suggest that that is actually the case. It may well be, you know, uh, bringing players off the bench, the strongest bench it's ever been on paper, but we actually see what's actually taking place in the park. Is it the strongest bench it's ever taken? Uh, you know, been read out in the, the team lines in the last few years. I would debate that. So, like, it's all done. It's all done the club to the forward. We can't make the same mistakes that you know we seem to be manifest in the last couple of transfer windows. So, it's all to do. No, there is all to do indeed, David. And a few interesting points made there. Obviously, I think for me as well, moving forward, what 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 the club do, Chris, and it it will be interesting as to to what direction the club go in. Um, obviously, according to Michael Beale, that you know the deals for the summer are pretty much done. Um, but I don't know. I mean, for me, a director of football is kind of just part of modern football for for a lot of elite clubs. The kind of mantra I have, if it's you know good enough for you know Man City and PSG and Barcelona and whatnot, I don't know why it wouldn't be good enough for Glasgow Rangers. Um, quite interesting as well because I mean. For me, I mentioned this in the article I wrote the other day, the, the days of clubs being moulded in the name and vision of one manager in the main are gone. Ironically, with probably the exception of Celtic at the moment, um, where you see the way that Postacoglu runs things, he is the director of football, he is the manager, he, he is clearly the one that, that's getting these signings done and identifying these players, which, you know, it's all, all well and good and obviously he, he has done a great job at Celtic, but, you know, Ange Postacoglu won't be at Celtic forever, whether, you know, Celtic fans um, like that or not, and there'll probably be a few listening, shouting at the telly, but um, he won't be there forever and... You look at that and say, right, well, as soon as he leaves Celtic, what does Celtic do? I've heard that, you know, apparently John Kennedy's been sort of groomed as some sort of replacement. Can't see that happening. I even think if it, if it was to happen, you, you've seen how well Kennedy done in the past um, to show maybe how, how not to do that. But, you know, I, I think if you look at us, I think it's good to have a model there where there is continuity and I think that that is um, the sort of most important thing. Um, you look at the way that we backed Warburton and the way that we backed Pedro, you know, allowing them to bring in their own players, some very, very expensive players and then as soon as they're out the door, you're needing to get the place. Um, that is kind of what a director of football is there for because, you know, you can have a, a smooth transition on to the next manager. What What's your thoughts on, um, on that situation and, and how the club um, should move forward? I'd be surprised if they decide to ditch it. I think they'll probably stick with the stick with the case structure that's there. Um, I think the, everybody that speaks about director football and that's a, a fan of it to say, oh, it's not just about signing players, it's not just transfers. I know Ross said at the EGM, Ross Wilson doesn't sign football players. He clearly has, and MD that's in that role, has a remit of academy, sports science, medical, uh, also dealing with the women's team, dealing with up, updates to iBox and Murray Park. There's so many different areas that that role involves. But ultimately, the most important thing is buying and selling players because that's what shapes everything around the football club. You can have a, a perfect academy structure and a ladies structure and a sports science and medical. All, all those boxes can be ticked. If you sign 10 bad players every summer, you won't be in a job. The manager won't be in a job. 
and Rangers won't win anything. So no, no matter who who comes into that role, the recruitment side of it is the most important bit that they have to they have to get right. Um, and I do do wonder if there's maybe a scope for splitting the role almost so you have also John Park is is there at present. If you let John Park and, and the scouting staff say right, your your responsibility, your your main focus obviously is to go and identify players. And you then have somebody else that can then deal with the rest of the aspects of the of a sporting director role. I don't think Michael will be phased by Ross not not being there. He seems someone that's he's also been heavily involved in recruitment at uh, previous teams and Austin Rangers as well. So I don't think he'll be phased by the fact that he will have to do a lot of the analysis stuff. Um, and we spoke to him last week about how he identifies players and the interview process that they the process that they go through. So I, I don't think it will worry him too much that Ross isn't there. Uh, to oversee the oversee the summer, but I think Rangers will look to uh, uh, bring somebody else in. Whether it's to do that sporting director role like Ross did it, or whether it is somebody that's got a bit more of an eye on recruitment, or someone that's got a bit more of an eye on the, on the other areas, I do think there's a scope for somebody to uh, to come in there. Um, and I'm interested to see what uh, route they go down, and also who the uh, who the names in the in the frame are. Uh, David mentioned uh, some other on also Christian Nerlinger name was was knocked down the other day there. I don't think anybody that's got a previous affiliation, I don't think that's a, like a prerequisite for this. Um, you're, you're looking for the best man for the job, not the best man that once played for Rangers or that grew up a Rangers fan. Um, so I think anybody that's been linked solely for that reason doesn't really float my boat. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if they go down like they have previously, a great English Championship Premier League style, or if they do like to go a bit more continental, may bring in somebody um, from Europe. So, uh, not an interesting summer, both on and off the park, as it always is. Uh, it always is indeed. Um, David, what what do you think Ross Wilson's legacy is going to be at Ibrox? Because, you know, Rangers obviously released a statement last week and John Bennett said that, you know, his, his legacy is implementing a player trading model and, you know, upgrades to, to the training ground and the women's team and stuff like that. I mean, look, I think it was it, it was well known that most of the stuff in the training ground was already underway when, when Stephen Gerrard came in and basically revamped uh, the whole the whole place. So, you know, I, I do obviously um, agree that Ross Wilson would have had a part to play in that, but, you know, that's maybe, you know, cutting it a wee bit. The women's team as well, I mean, we, we at the pod, we're a big supporter of the women's team and stuff like that, but as Chris said, the biggest thing is recruitment and for, for Rangers to win trophies. So that, that isn't a priority for you know for most supporters. The player trading model is one that's came up and you know a lot of people have slagged it and laughed at it and stuff like that. But he has he has implemented that because it's just a fact because you know we've made two record player sales under him. Um okay, we can talk about not getting enough money for a reboot or, you know, Kent Morello's leaving and freeze and stuff like that when we probably should have sold them. But it doesn't change the fact that he sold Nathan Patterson, that he sold Calvin Bassey. And I mentioned it the other day. I mean, Ross Wilson wasn't the one that signed Joe Aribo, which means that Ross Wilson wasn't the guy that put the £10 million release clause in Joe Aribo's contract. So the fact that I know we get £6 million up front, that probably will go to £10 million after add-ons and stuff like that eventually. So... I think to recoup an entire release clause of um, a player with one year left to go on a deal, I think it's pretty decent. And like you said, he managed to sell Eros Gresda as well. So um, the good thing about that is, which maybe people don't understand, is that Rangers aren't going to be, you know, 
laughed at if that kind of makes sense in, in the transfer market when we're looking to sell players. Um, Celtic have done it very, very well over the years. I've managed to basically maximise income for players and I look at even last season managing to get like 13 or 40 million for, for Christopher Ayer with a year left in his contract. Two and a half million quid for Ryan Christie with six months left in his contract. So Rangers have started to do that. But like I said earlier, I think that we're, we're now, you know, into that process now and just because Ross Wilson's done it before doesn't exactly mean that he's going to be the man to, to do it take it forward what, what's your, your thoughts on his, his legacy? Well it's difficult to judge I was going to, I was going to uh, interject before you um, after you Chris's previous answer your previous question I, I neglected to mention contracts in my life and you've obviously uh, mentioned it there with Ken and, and Jack uh, sorry and Morelis Um there's obviously the, the the outsourcing the medical sports science side of it, which has come in. Uh, you know, it's come under a wee bit of scrutiny online uh, with regards to the injuries and, and what have you. But it seemed to be a kind of a bit of a departure from Stephen Gerrard's time. Um, so, you know, but do we do we do we look at that and immediately point the finger at it? At Ross Wilson, it's unfair to do so because it's pure speculation that we're working on. I mean, we don't, we're not obviously party to um, what goes on in boardroom meetings. We don't see uh, the minutes of meetings to, to actually see what's been agreed and what you know what what is you know Ross's actual remit and a granular level. So it's difficult to judge, Craig. Um, but. You know, as a lay person who is picking up uh, the likes of Chris's newspaper or listening to us water on and talk nonsense on a Sunday evening, um, your good self and your opinion apart, Chris, because you're obviously a pro. Um, ah, it's a hard one. Um, you, you make good points there when you, you refer to um, selling Calvin Bassey and, and Nathan Parson for record fees at them, doesn't there's no two ways about that. He's done that, and that's what he's, he was charged with doing. It's part of the, the sporting director remit, you know, to, to to make the investment in the academy bear fruit. You know, I think we've got something like what, eleven to twelve million pound up front for Everton. The add-ons will go to sixteen. You know, assuming that nothing goes awry with that. Uh, and obviously, you know, similarly with Calvin Bassett, an upfront fee, um, depending on where you, you get your information, whether it was all paid up front, buyouts, or whether it was in installments. You know, he deserves credit for that. Um, the, the, the current chairman, John Bennett, and, and his uh, previous role as a vice chairman, made a, a comment about that in the aftermath of the, the Champions League early shootings. Um, and you know, it's irrefutable. But there is that other side of it where you're thinking, you know, has he been a success over the piece? It's a, like it's an exacting environment um, um, working for the old firm. Um, and you can't eat, there's, there's not a lot of latitude to get a lot wrong. It just seems that of late, that especially, and I haven't back, I'm, I'm repeating myself here, so I apologise to the listeners in advance here, but that, the, the net spend the lot in the summer transfer window to not actually have any return for that, you know, on the park is that's that's what fans obviously, you know, it gets their backs up. You think that, you know, legitimately, um, you know, there's question marks hanging over Red Van Yuma's. We're wondering whether 
know, did Giovanni Van Bronckhorst sign him? Did he sanction that he's signing? Or was that a case of you know, someone else signed him? And he just went along with it. Um, he's obviously been injured since, since October. He came in at the side briefly. Uh, didn't look, didn't was he rubbing up any trees, but, you know, he could obviously, you know, he, he, he can make allowances for the young lad. But, you know, fans are starting to think there'll be two managers here that don't rate Rad Van Yomas. Do we, do we possibly see him return to, to, to Turkey in the summer or whether it's in loan or whether they decide to cut our losses on him and then sell him back to whoever's, you know, an interested party or, or whatever. So that, you know, that builds up and builds up and immediately Ben Davis's lot, you know, recent performances in big games, games that matter. You know, you're still, you know, it's like a compound interest situation. Uh, you look at Ravi Matonis, Ravi Matonis on the programme, I thought he came on and looked reasonably bright yesterday. I'm <laughs> saying a bit perverse, but you know, all these things where you know, you know, you're not seeing a return on the park. Uh, it's just a hard situation that we've found ourselves in. That, 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 you know, we seem to have spent a kind of, you know, no, no, a, an amazing amount of money and then going to the Champions League groups, which, you know, were we ever going to not get the type of uh, results that we, that we ended up getting? with the spend that we had and the squad that we had in, in situ. All these things all, um, you know, play a part in formulating fans' opinions about the legacy of a sporting director. So, I think, like, over the piece, I think that Ross is, I, I would say, maybe 55, possibly 60, 40 in his favour in terms of how he's, he's went about the job. Um, but we kind of stand still as a club. It's the same old, same old, we've got to move forward. And I'd like to think, Chris made a point, about whether they go down the European route. I'd like them to see, I'd like them to go down the European route um, because I don't think the market that they were showing, and obviously, you know, leaving the Belgian market aside of late, I don't think the English market represents good value for money. And I think that because of the wages then, even at, at League One level, these kind of wages are, are you know, could you call them unsustainable for, for Scottish Premier League side? Aye, possibly. So I think you need to look further afield. And if the contact book is limited to maybe one or two markets on the continent, as it would appear to be uh, the case under Ross Walsh. I think we need to spread our things further, but that's going to cost money. It's like scouting networks. You know, if, if, if you're relying on agents to, to you know, uh, to effectively um, forward players to you, as opposed to actually having boots on the ground and scouting, uh, or relying on, on the opinions of maybe ex-players that are dotted around the world in various continents, no, it's all it's a money thing, Craig. But we need to get better. It's just as simple as that. We can't allow Celtic. You know, given how well they've been they've been run uh, of of late. You know, especially you know with the financial jump that they're going to get again. We, we can't allow them to get any further ahead. And that obviously makes the structures and the pressures like more exacting on the board and whoever they, they decide to hire to replace us. Yeah, I think um, not standing still is probably the the best way to describe it. I, I think as well, to be honest, in, in terms of, you know, possible new director of football, I agree with you, you know, a, a continental route's probably the best way. And I think you can probably have a best of both worlds. Where you've got you've already got a guy in there in Michael Beale who knows the English market, you know, anyway. So it kind of seems counterproductive having another guy in as to oversee that who also knows English market so I, I think the continental route um, 
you know, would 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 be best. And obviously, having a a look at players um, further afield, maybe even further afield from Europe, um, don't see don't see any problem in that because there's definitely value for money to be had. Um, lastly, then, Chris, um, just wanted to touch on the, the recruitment for the summer. We mentioned it earlier briefly. Michael Beale says that um, you know most of it's already done. Um, kind of get a feel. I know what the pres- uh, the priority positions are, but. At the same time, you know, we can sit here and say that Scott Arfield and Alan McGregor and all that won't be here next season. We don't know that, you know, because you look at that, we were saying the exact same last season and Scott Arfield, he scored a great goal. People might disagree with me on this, but I, I don't see any issue with keeping Arfield for another season um, to contribute. I think he's actually probably contributed more this season, more so in the first half of the season than we expected him to. Um, but... He's good for a goal, he's fit, you know, he's available pretty much 100% of the time, never injured, he's great to have around, he wouldn't cost a lot in wages as well, um, you know, so for him anyway, I, I, I don't see any harm in giving him another year, but um, for you moving forward, what, what positions are a priority next season? I think, if, just to pick up on that, Craig, if you look at the, the out-of-contact ones, also Kent, Kent and Morelos are, are probably exceptions to it, but the older ones, we all assume that McGregor will retire. And then leaves you likes of Arfield, Davis, and Ryan and Ryan Jack. I think it'd be a mistake to get rid of all of them in, in the one go because you do need to have guys in the squad that know the standards, that know the club, that know Scottish football. And if you're going to go and bring in potentially eight, ten, maybe even twelve uh, new signings, you need guys in the squad that can put an arm around somebody and just guide them through that first few. Uh, those first few months, um, and, and having guys with that experience and that and that knowledge is going to be invaluable for Rangers going forward. So I think there's a key balance act between, yes, you want to revamp the squad, you want to bring fresh legs and new ideas and new faces into it, but you can't just say, right, there's 15 players off your pop and bring in 15 uh, to the place. So I think there's a key, uh, key uh, balance act for the manager there. In terms of what else needs done, goalkeepers are obviously a, a priority and that's something that will need to be addressed. I think centre-half, I wouldn't be surprised if that gets looked at as well, given we've spoke about um, ben Davies and also it depends on John Suter uh, going forward as well left back I don't think I'd be surprised if Barisic moves on and time will tell if, if Yelmaz is the, is the answer or not um, spoke earlier on I think about at least in a, a couple of midfielders are going to need at least one striker if, if Morelos moves on probably looking at, at two or three um, just to give us some options up there wide areas again also Ryan Kent moving on I think there's I think there's a lot of work to be done. Um, a lot of it revolves around Tillman as well, because that's £5 million out of what's well, not going to be a massive budget. So that uh, if you do do that deal, they then leave you short in, in other areas. So I don't think the fans should expect a whole a whole raft of four, five, six million pound players to be coming in. Rangers will need to be smart in what they spend. Uh, I think that's arguably the biggest fault of the last, of, of the last couple of seasons. And one of Ross Wilson's biggest faults, it's not what they've spent, it's how they've spent it. I think if you look at Rangers' investment in terms of transfer fees and wages, it's up the board and, and the investors have stumped up time after time. Um, and I don't think they can be faulted for that. It's how the money has been spent and it's been the, it's been the biggest problem. So Rangers need to have a success rate of 80-90% in terms of the signings, but every, every pound that they spend has to be used better than it has been over over recent seasons. 
No, I completely agree. And David, Chris is right. It's about it's about value. I mean, you, you need to compare it to Celtic. I mean, you know, fair, fair play to Postacoglu. Look at the guys that he's brought in for, for the money that he's brought brought in. I mean, um, you know, Carter Vickers and Jota obviously were, were, were marquee signings, but they managed to get them in loan for, for a year before. Um, and I think Kyogo cost a bit of money. But apart from that, the, the rest of that squad, you know, you're talking about no spending much more than a couple of million quid on, on guys that have had a massive impact. So it's about it's about value for money really and you know, like Chris said, I think the value that we've we've managed to well, we've not managed to get quite frankly the last um year or so has just been that has been abysmal and again that was, you know, part of the reasons why I think it was time for, for Ross Wilson to go. But what about you for priority positions and may as well just throw it out there and do you think our future should be given a new contract like I, I do? Right, well, I'll take Timmy Scott Arfield question first. Um, he's seen yesterday the experience, all the experience of Scott Arfield coming to the floor yesterday way to that goal. But he can bring to the side. Um, if Scott Arfield's no cost near uh, in terms of wages, uh, you know, I'll just I'll plot a, a figure out of thin air. 